Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we're here to discuss a thrilling game and another game that didn't happen at all. But before we get into it, I want to remind our listeners, leave us a nice, pretty five-star review on iTunes, because it'll make us very happy as we go into the new year, because Tottenham sure aren't doing that. And also, follow our new Twitter account, at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. On that note, it is time to get to our esteemed panelists. We have Ben Daniels leading us off. Ben, are you sunshine and rainbows today? I mean, why why wouldn't I be? I mean, today that ends in a Y. A mighty. We managed another draw. Um, just you know, one point at a time, inching our way towards daylight and 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 the, and the title. Next up, just keeping the good good vibes going. We've got Brian Ashlock. Brian. I don't have a good setup for you. I'm assuming you're, you are no, neither geeked nor zooted. Neither. Nope. And But, on the other hand, we didn't lose to Fulham. And... You know, I thought Mourinho's approach to this game was unforgivable. I mean, not a single shot on goal. I mean, the players didn't even show up. That's on the manager. Just utterly inexcusable. You know, just lack of effort today. But, I thought that our mass discipline really led to this result, where you can see Fulham were much more undisciplined when it comes to masks and social distancing. <laughs> they, didn't, they did not keep a clean sheet in any sense of the word, I suppose. Right. Today. No, it's those posh people over in Fulham, and they just, you know, they don't think it's real. It's the problem. <laughs> Good thing that's only happening in Fulham. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the Wolves game. It was a 1-1 draw. Uh, goals pretty much either end of the match, but... I don't know. It was another example of Spurs squandering a promising start. Is that is that giving us too much credit, Ben? <laughs> this really is that, 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 that giving us credit? Uh, <laughs> well, I said uh, squandering a good start. So you know, that's something. There's some credit buried in there. I mean, yeah, we we squandered a start. That's certainly true. Um, you know, I think just talk about this match. You know, we came out in a unfamiliar back three setup to try and match up with Fulham's back three. And Wolves. I'm sorry, <laughs> Wolves, Fulham, who knows what Fulham played? Uh, it was very, very hard to see. Um, they were yeah, really so tightly we spent... packed in. I mean, I think that's what you can take away from Fulham's <laughs> formation. Uh, so, so Wolves tend to play a back three and have over the years. This season, they've mixed it up a bit. And uh, they mixed it up for us. So Jose went out there with his fancy back three formation to match up against Wolves, and Wolves didn't do it. And I think we spent most of that first half trying to figure out how to rejigger the team to actually match up with what Wolves were doing. Um, and as a result, we had, you know, Hungman's son stuck out on the wing playing more defense um, than we should be asking him to do. Um, you know, we got... We got a very fortunate goal to kick things off in like the first minute um, from Ndombele on a corner, which you know was a nice finish. It was a nice little 
I don't know how it, how deliberate that routine might might have been. Um, but I think we all saw that goal go in and think, well, we're going to go defend for 89 minutes. Uh, this is not going to be pretty. And it wasn't that bad. So I guess in that sense, I'll say it, it, it surpassed my expectations. I thought Tangi Ndombele had a really wonderful half, um, was all over the place, doing a lot of exciting Tangi Ndombele things. But otherwise, this, the personnel choices, the formation selection that we ended up playing just really made it hard for us to attack the way we wanted to. Um, and then the second half happened, and the less said about that, the better. One of the things that sort of perplexes me about Mourinho is I don't think, like, you know, there's a lot of things that you can fault Jose Mourinho for, but one thing that I don't think you can fault him for is, like, you listen to his interviews over the last two years, you see some of the punditry doing. It's not like he is incapable of diagnosing the problems with the squad. He's done it with us. In fact, he's done it in some fairly, he's been a little more honest than he should be sometimes in public, where he will call out certain players for not doing certain things well. Now, you know, I don't know if he is always assigning responsibility where it needs to be, but the fact of the matter is Mourinho is not a manager who is incapable of seeing the problems on a football pitch. And the fact that, you know, we haven't responded better to this sort of like, oh, we go up one and then we're just going to, like, defend for the rest of the match. I, I, I don't know. Like, we clearly changed the way we played after he didn't like what we were doing against West Ham. Uh, and Newcastle, and how we sort of we were sloppy and kind of gave those games away. I well, he's clearly capable of responding to things that happen in the team, and he doesn't seem to be doing that right now. Well, I guess I just find it particularly odd because one of the things that you would never say about most Jose Mourinho teams, particularly the Chelsea teams, is that they lacked kind of the killer instinct that they ever that they took their foot off the gas. I don't think that was ever particularly true of. Um, the Chelsea teams of the the Inter Milan teams, maybe of the Real Madrid teams, but maybe that was just you know them coasting their way through some of the league matches. Um, but certainly the Chelsea teams with you know Drogba and Essien and, and even the even the second stint uh, that he had there, they they kept their foot on their ga- the gas. They they tried to get that second goal like. That has been Spurs' problem, uh, you know, and, and Jose addressed that in in, in his, in, you know, in his press conference after the match, and you know he talks about you know well I I don't know how to get through to them or you know I'm not uh, you know I didn't tell them to back off, but something's going on here, like like whether it's a diagnosable problem um, that he that he is creating via his instructions or whether it is just. A mentality thing, which I can't imagine based on what we have seen over the last two or three seasons from these basically same players. Um, I, I just don't understand what it is. Like, like I don't get how you can have a team that has Harry Kane and Hungman Son out there and have no shots for the last half hour of the game. Or, you know, to, 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 to not have any sort of possession or to be unable to get the ball out of your half and create a decent counterattack in the last in the second half. Like I don't know what the instruction is or what the real issue is. That's what's so perplexing. Is like Greg said, Jose's good at diagnosing problems. And as Brian said, Jose in in the aftermath, and this is not the first time he said it, has said, I'm not telling the team to do this. We shouldn't be standing off. So he both recognizes the problem and says he is telling them 
to not do the thing that's the problem, and yet we keep doing this same thing that's the problem. Well, even and that's look where at, I'm like totally at all. Even look, and I guess that was one of the things that frustrated me on this match. Like, look at the. I, I want to say, sorry, these games are kind of bleeding together for me. I think it was the Palace match. Um, where we gave up that late equalizer in like the 81st minute or whatever, we mounted like, like you know, it was too late. We shouldn't have waited till then. But like that sort of like Spurs got their act into gear and created some good chances down the stretch of that match. Like Kane should have had a goal. Eric Dyer had a really good free kick. There was, you know, Spurs responded, and it was just you know, it's it's not like we're not capable of sort of snapping into action, but there's no urgency in attack on this team, which I think is definitely down to the manager. It's it's completely perplexing when you look at both, like we were just saying, like Chelsea had that killer instinct. It's not, you know, it's one thing to sort of, okay, you're up 1-0 in the 80th minute, everyone's tired. Maybe let's, let's like hang back a little bit. Like, I'm not going to fault a manager for in the 80th minute making that call, but we're doing it in like the 60th minute, and like, it feels like the 30th minute. And it's just like, it's brutal to watch. It's not sustainable. We're not that good defensively or that clinical offensively to sort of keep playing this way. Well, and I mean, I think the thing Ben identified was, you know, we score that early goal and then, you know, a certain subset of our fans like Ben um, were like, all right, now we defend for 89 minutes. Let's see how that goes. And it's just like, I want us to keep attacking. Like, all right, let's put five past them. Let's score six. Like, let's let's beat these guys up. And it's just like, it's so frustrating to watch everything become so passive. And, you know, Look, I, I, I'm a Jose apologist. I try to give him as much rope as I can. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm all for effective football. And, and I think this is kind of the point that I'm drawing, that I'm kind of trying to draw a line with Jose is like, all right, you can play this way, but if we're not effective, if we're not winning matches, if we're not killing games off, why are we doing this? Like, let's open it back up the way we were playing against West Ham or, you know, in, in at the beginning of the season. And let's go score four goals and concede three. Like, I'd way rather watch that. I think we all would. But there's even, like, I think there's a market difference because I've seen, you know, there's a lot of people, Spurs fans, talking about the way we play or whatever. And I have much less of a problem of what happened in the Arsenal match, for instance. Let's look at that match. Like, now, admittedly, we scored, like, two really pretty goals in that match, which kind of, you know, okay, you got something to sort of hang your hat on as a Spurs fan there. But, you know, you go up two goals by halftime. I don't have a problem if you're going to, like, invite a largely toothless Arsenal team. Like, hey, cross the ball in the box, guys. Like, let's see how this goes. Especially in this season where fitness is kind of an issue. But we're not up 2-0. Like, you're up 1-0. And I think this, this has happened to us enough times this year you should know better. Like, you do need that second goal. If you don't have it... By the 80th minute, like, okay, fine. Like, you know, draw back into your defensive shell and try to just gut out the last 10 minutes of the match. But it's not fun to watch. It's not effective to watch. So I don't know what we're doing here. I mean, we're we're blowing it is what we're doing. I mean, we're just blowing game after game. Um, you know, even, even the first time we were attacking a little bit, like, we still mustered, you know, we, we managed six shots all game. You know, there was no point in this where we were, and two of those shots were to get to the corner, to get to Tongi Ndombele scoring. So a third of our shots came in the first, like, minute of the game. <laughs> you know, it's, at no point are we actively trying to do anything. And it's, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to now play a, 
you know, retreat and pack it in and play like a low block counterattacking system and invite them to come on because now we have the go-ahead goal and they have to open up a little bit and then we can hit them on the break. Like that would be a perfectly viable strategy that would probably pay dividends, but that's not what we're doing. We're inviting them on and then that's kind of the end of the plan. Like there is no, and, and, and to Wolves credit, because, you know, Greg, you always say we don't give enough credit to the other teams and they do something well. They did a very good job breaking up our counterattack before they could turn into counterattacks. They pressed us really well in transition. Um, they fouled us really smartly. Like, like they did a lot of good things. Like they definitely knew what our plan is, um, that the only way we can score goals is on the counter. And if they can disrupt that, um, you know, they'll, they'll shut down our attack. But even so, like we should have had more attacking impetus than we had. Mm-hmm. And again, Jose is also watching this match. He is, seeing what's happening like his response to that needs to be okay if they're going to press us every time we try and counter and not allow us to counter we need to do something different yeah and that never comes like you never see that that plan b and it's even with los Celso on the bench like they need to like i i think i think there is something very impressive about the way we played that first stretch of games in this in this stretch the way we played sort of arsenal chelsea City, like that kind of counterattacking style. It's it, it's effective. It's at times very pretty to watch. It's not bad, but like the 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 thing about that style of play is you are really placing a lot of faith in the other team playing into your hands. And I think you can be forgiven for placing a certain amount of faith in like a Manchester City or a Liverpool like playing you in a certain way. I think that's fair, but, like, you know when you get to a team like Wolves, when you get to a team like Leicester even, uh, you know, certainly when you start getting teams like Fulham, they're not going to let you want to play that way. They're not going to sort of do what you need them to do to make the system work. And the fact that we sort of haven't developed a more coherent plan B is, you know, it's a pretty bad indictment of Mourinho. And it's something I think we were all a little worried about when we... You know, because it was one thing to play that way against the top teams, and we were going to see how it went when we started playing teams that, you know, we probably had to come at a little more, and we're just not doing a great job of it. Well, I, I mean, I'm not even as concerned about not having a plan B. I guess my thing is is Jose being unable to affect the outcome of a match with substitutions. Um, I mean, I think that's one thing that I, I think we kind of got fed up with with Pochettino kind of towards the end of his run is like he made the same substitutions by rote like you know the 62nd minute all right this is what happens this is you know this is who comes on 75th here's who comes on same thing and 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 that feels like now what jose is doing and he's you know we can talk about whether it's the quality of the players or the the roles in which they're being used but like the guys that are coming on aren't affecting matches um you know we're not scoring late goals substitutes aren't having an impact on the game um it's the opposite right we're conceding like we're conceding exactly he's we're losing out of games yeah we're, we're we're losing structure we're losing shape you know we you know the 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 late game sub it wasn't in, in this game because we played the back three but you know the late game bringing on of uh ben davis to replace the left winger and then moving regulon up like what is that actually accomplishing? And, and and here, you know, in this match, we brought on Bergvine. And I, what we're, we're bringing on is Bergvine this donkey on. down the wing. We're not bringing him on to, like, hey, go 
like fucking break behind their back line and let's like create some shit. Yeah, and it's just like you know, like look, I understand. You know, Bergvine has been you know bagged on enough by people. It's not his fault that he got brought on in this situation and it didn't affect this match. But like, he didn't do anything. Um, you know, and and I know that I've been banging this particular drum for a while. But like, why are we not seeing Vinicius in these games? You know, why aren't we bringing on a second striker? There's some talk why that he's hurt. I hope that's true because I think you're 100% right. It's unforgivable. Not unforgivable, but completely mystifying if, if, if there's not an injury issue here. And which, he wasn't on the thing, bench, right? Yeah, he was on the bench. And, and look, it'd be one thing if he played in the Europa League or played in these other competitions and looked like crap. But what does he have, five goals and four assists or something like that in, in, in his Europa League games? Like... He's when he plays, he contributes, and he whether it's assists or goals, he runs. Like I, I, I don't know why he's not seeing minutes. Like if you're going to tell me that Gareth Bale doesn't get to come on because he doesn't work as hard, and you know he doesn't really, he, he's not what we needed to like break down the defense. All right, I'm on board, but I do not understand why Vinicius is not well, getting a run out. I, I don't feel like goal. we haven't even seen the Vinicius performance of like. It wasn't great, and you can at least understand why the manager is mad. Like, you at least understand that the manager is mad at him, and that is why he is not playing. We haven't even gotten one of those. He just hasn't gotten Premier League minutes, and I certainly think he's earned, like, at a minimum, late sub minutes in a Premier League match. And I did, I agree, Brian. Like, you look at the Palace game; that's a perfect game to throw him on. Like, okay, let's throw some bodies for it. Let's get someone in the box who can mix it up a little bit. Like. All right, so so I'm looking at the the lineups now, and it doesn't look like he was on the bench. So hopefully, so, it's a medical right. issue with him, and it's not like we're weirdly <laughs> excluding him. But who knows? So my criticism, I guess, for this game is less valid. But I mean, like we still have Deli Alley on the bench. On the bench. Yeah, yeah. Why I mean, is Deli so, Alley getting minutes? I mean, but I mean, I think the thing is, is that you're asking the wrong question. Is it not why aren't we throwing on Vinicius when we need a goal? It's we're not trying to score a goal. Again, yeah. we took our last shot in the 60th minute. Our first sub was replacing Regulon for Bergvine, which seems like an attacking sub, but really Bergvine was playing, I'm sorry, Regulon was playing like a defensive left winger position, and then Bergvine was brought on to do that exact same yeah. job. And that's not, you know, a, that's, not a, sub, that's not a slight on Bergvine, it's what he's being asked to do. Like Right, right. It's like we're not making attacking substitutions. And we took off in Domblay, who was our, I think, clear best player in the match, and brought on Musa Sissoko, which is Obviously not a guy who's going to do anything other than try and help but, shut shit up. See, here's the like, thing. We have a tight fixture list. Lo Celso's hurt. I don't have a problem with taking Ndombele off to sort of preserve his legs. What I have a problem with is that we have, even as important and as good as Ndombele is, they should still be able to muster an attack without him on the pitch. Like, maybe it looks different. Maybe it's not as effective. But, like, okay, you got to preserve his legs. I believe that. I think that's a real thing, and I don't have a problem with it. But if you're – you can't just not – you can't just, like you said, Ben, you, Give up on attacking. You got to find a different way. If you just got to fucking lump balls into the box and hope Harry Kane gets his head on the end of one of them, fine. But you got to at least try something. Right. I mean, the fundamental problem here is that Spurs have some very good attackers and have some pretty mediocre defenders. Like there, there's some good. We have some good defenders. Like they're not terrible, but it's it's clearly the weakest part of our team. If you look at from front to back, Harry Kane and Hungman's son are the best players on our team, and then and Dombele and Hoybier are probably the next best players on the team, and then like the fullbacks are really good. And then it all kind of starts to fall apart. And when you ask all of the game to be played 
with Ben Davis and Davidson Sanchez and Eric Dyer, like you're asking for bad shit to happen because that's not where you want the ball. Well, they're and, not they're not the strong part of our team. And so I, why are we asking all of the games we played? And I think that's the thing I keep coming back to is like I might trust them. I might trust that defense to be like you guys need to hold out for ten minutes. Like you just you need to keep it down. We played well enough. Like I mean we don't we don't do a bad job of limiting good shots. I, I would argue Spurs are fairly decent in that. The problem is we're letting teams attack us for like way longer than we should. And if we you know, I think if you ask that defense to like bunker in for ten minutes as opposed to like fifty, you, you would see some different results because they're not gonna be as tired, they're not they're gonna be more focused, you know. The other teams wouldn't have like felt them out quite as much. It's it's what you're asking them to do, and you know again bringing this all the way back to something we talked about earlier. What perplexes me is this is not what a Mourinho team looks like traditionally. The really successful Mourinho teams, yes, they were capable of it. Yes, they could do this kind of thing on occasion against a team like Pep's Barca or something. But they had killer instinct. They would go after teams. They you know they didn't just sort of sit back after they got a goal. I mean, those were teams that were capable of punishing you, and we're not doing that. And what's that. the famous Jose result? Like, 1-0 is not the Jose result. Like, 2-0 is the Jose result. Like, that that is what you pay for when you sign Jose Mourinho. Like, you know, two two goals, shut up shop. And even then, though, like, you look back at his Chelsea teams, and they were routinely putting, like, four and five goals past people because they were a fucking very good team. And, like... They were defensively well drilled. You could count on John Terry and Ricardo Cavallo to like wreck shit if it came, you know, anywhere near their goal. But that wasn't like the story of that team. No, they were you know, capable the of the doing that. Where like guys like Drogba, guys like in Hazard, like they're dynamic attackers just punishing you. And like the thing about this team is we we do have a very well organized defense. It's like as much as it felt like oh my god it's inevitable that we're going to concede. You watch that game and like. We let limited Wolves to very few good chances, if any, for most of the game. You know, we allowed them a lot of the ball, but they weren't scoring a lot, and or not, not they weren't they weren't taking great shots. They weren't yeah. getting into the box. They you were, weren't you, you weren't know, looking at Hugo and the occasional seppies. Yeah, you didn't. They weren't giving Hugo a real workout, and you know, right? Exactly. The problem is, is so it's like on the one hand, Jose has effectively organized this defensive unit to play a good brand of defense where they limit the other team to not very many high quality chances. Like that's really good. The problem is just the sheer volume of chances you end up conceding at that point when you don't play out of your own half for 80% of the game, you're bound to just have one slip and that's it. You can't make a slip when you only have one goal lead. You know, they get a corner, and then there it is, and that's the game. Because, yeah, you don't need an effective attack if you just get a corner. I mean, obviously you need to get down the pitch and whatever, but, like, you know, good defenses let corners go in occasionally. It just it just happens, like you said. I and mean, if you're playing at slim margins, you know, you have a two-goal lead, all right, who gives a shit? Like, all right, we, we, we let a goal in and we go after it. But, you know, it's just, he's got to change it, and I... You know, considering that he changed the way we played earlier this season, this is not a man who I think, you know, at times I, I honestly thought Pochettino was a guy who was so sort of married to his approach. As much as flexible as he could be, there were certain times I felt like he just didn't want to do certain things. Like, he, he didn't want to play people in certain positions or play a certain way because, 
he was a bit of an ideologue sometimes. And I don't get that. I mean, Mourinho clearly knows what's going on. That he won't respond to it is a little. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he would have done something against Fulham today. We'll never know. But it just feels like we can't keep doing this. We're not going to keep. We're just going to be unlucky if we keep doing this because we're playing at, at such fine margins. Well, and it's just like, you know, uh, like Ben says, you know, we've, we've got this organized defense. We limit good opportunities. But, like, the flip side of that is is we're not getting the ball into the box on the other end. We're not creating good opportunities for ourselves. And it's not it's not even a matter of taking our foot off the gas. It's just we're just not getting in the box. Like, our, our, our opportunities are always have shots outside the box. I mean, I think in terms of XG, I don't think we've won XG since West Brom. Like, I, I you know. Liverpool is the only uh, okay. we've. <laughs> so I mean, but you know, like well, and that's that goes back City, to what infuriates me. That goes back to what infuriates me. Liverpool is like one of the three best teams in the world, depending on how you break it down. They're either the best team in the world or they're one of the top three. And Jose Mourinho came out with a very good plan against Liverpool that almost won that game. You could argue should have won this game. We probably didn't shouldn't have lost that game. We're, we're, it's like it's not like we are like. A, a, a bad team that is incapable of doing good things. It's just, you know, that he doesn't seem to understand that what we do against Liverpool is not what we should do against Wolves, who aren't a bad team. I'm not, like, trying to, like, lump Wolves in with Fulham or something here. It's That's what's just confounding to me about all of this. And, and I mean, look, I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom. I mean, the Fulham match, which didn't happen today aside, I mean, we've still got a, a pretty decent you know run where we can pick up some points we've got you know Leeds. we've got sheffield brighton um you know we've got matches with aston villa liverpool sprinkled in there but like there are points to be won here and and i don't think you know we're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination but like something needs to change in the way that we approach the attacking phase of this game because for me, the most frustrating part of this match was the second half and watching a team that is so good at counterattacking being unable to get the ball clear of their own half. Like, you know, you, whether it was the ball played into Kane and him being unable to find somebody or, or the midfield press of Wolves just nullifying us before we even could play a ball up to one of the attackers. Uh that can't be how we go forward this season. Like, like, and I understand that Wolves are a well-drilled team. They're very well organized under Nuno, but we we have to be better at that. Like, whether and whether that is we have to change stylistically and just hold the ball more, possess it, knock it around, or if it's just we need another plan other than kick it to Harry Kane and then Harry Kane kicks it over the top to Hungman Son. There needs to be something because, like that, absolutely. Yeah, did relying not on it Harry's going to thread the needle is not going to get us through the season. It's just well, and then you know, we haven't really talked about it, but like this was probably the first game of the season that Hoyberg wasn't good at. Like he had a poor match. He, Kane had Harry, a poor match. Harry Winks wasn't great. Honestly, um, I thought Winks was better than he usually was. There was at least one moment where like. I think it was in the first. No, there it was in the first half where like Wiggs broke out and started an attack, and I just remember going like, "Oh, okay, it didn't go anywhere." But yeah. still, Harry Wiggs. Like, yeah, he 
dribbled forward and passed the ball, and you're like, yeah, that's what a midfielder is supposed to progress, do. Progress, good then, job. Progress. It's just like you get that like once a game, and you think, oh, is Harry Winks figuring it out? It's like, no, he just had so much space in front of him that he could not dribble into it. Well, it's, him and Hoiberg both passed all out of bounds at one point, and I was just like, Ugh. oh. Yeah, Winks did that diagonal dribble across the fucking pitch and then yeah. passed it down. Was it was it was it Davis or Reggione who was in the left back position? There was just like, what are you doing, dude? I I will give Mourinho credit for this. He seems to at at a minimum whatever else we want to say. He seems very clear eyed about Harry Winks and what we need to be doing with him. And unfortunately, injuries are requiring us to give him minutes right now. Well, injuries. That's a good point. Depending if you could have played Musa Soko. Boy, that's a real no. Sophie's choice. But I think, you know, you talk about Hoybier having a poor game, and it's like, we're putting so many minutes on his legs. You know, he's playing just every match he possibly is available for because we have nobody else to do that. You know, if he starts wearing down, I'm just, that's it. Well, good thing that uh, <laughs> we're apparently linked with Sabitzer, who sounds like he could do a lot of Hoybier-type things if we sign him, so... Yeah, like, you know, so Marcel Sabitzer from Leipzig has kind of moved into a deeper role this season. Um, you may remember him from scoring two goals against us in the Champions League last spring to knock us out. Um, you know, he could play in that Suzuka role and play with Hoiberg. He could possibly play in Hoiberg's role and spell him a little bit. Um, frankly, anybody who, like, takes Suzuka out of the team and so he's not playing 3,000 minutes over the course of the season – and instead is only playing, you know, 20-minute cameos like like he did against Wolves, is going to make us better. Um, you know, we just need somebody else in midfield who can advance the ball. Because um, well, you know, we saw what a problem that was. Yeah, you well, yeah, get rid of right. and Lacelso's on the injury bench, and, like, what are you going to do? It's it's As deep as we are in some positions on the field, our, I feel like our midfield is very, very thin, especially if you, you know, don't think much of Harry Winks. And Sabasur does, like, the stuff that we, you would like Sissoko to do, which is, you know, the passing and the running and then also the finishing. Uh, you know, he, he's obviously, as we saw from his play against us, he's a good dribbler through midfield. He can find himself around the box or in the box and, and, and score. And, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't watched any of him this year, so I have no idea how he's adjusted to playing even deeper. But, you know... If he can His do defensive if he, action numbers from you know if you look at like just pure tackles and interceptions look decent. I, 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 yeah, and looking. I mean, look if he if he just if he's just a competent center midfielder who does some tackling, does some intercepting, and then also contributes effectively to the attack, he's already an upgrade over Sissoko. Well, and again, this this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Maybe this is Daniel Levy, but like I don't think this. Mourinho, Levy, whoever you want to say, is incapable of diagnosing what is wrong with this squad. So the fact that we are not taking steps to fix it beyond, like, we're linked to some players that would probably help some of our issues is a little aggravating. And again, maybe that's something we're going to see to start change, start to change, but so far we haven't. Yeah. It's frustrating because, so you know, we, we chatted a little bit about this in, in the writer's slack today, but... You know, we've seen Jose move this team through several phases over the course of his year and a half, however long it's been. Um, you know, we had that first phase where Deli Alley was a big part of it. Um, we were winning games 3-2 a lot. 
Um, it was a little ropey. You know, we hadn't quite figured it out, but like we, we didn't know how good we had it. We were kind of okay. And then the spring happened, and Kane died, and Sun died, and you know, we looked like absolute dog shit. Um, and then Project Restart happened, and and that was you know we we went on a really good run from like mid table to pushing for a possibly. Champions League qualification, and it looked like we're finally putting things together. This team is playing exciting attacking football. Harry Kane and Son are doing really good things. And then we started this season in pretty similar vein, only it all felt a little more deliberate, a little more structured. Um, and and then it stopped. And then, you know, again, the West Ham collapse happened, and it seems like Jose has taken clear steps to try and prevent late collapses, which have ironically resulted in, like, three or four late collapses. But so, like, we've seen him change this team multiple times already in a not very long time. The question is, is when are we going to get that next shift? Is it going to happen? Or or is this it? Or does he just think this is a blip, you know, from fixture congestion and some tough matches? And, you know, it, it got us wins against Brighton and West Brom and Man City. So the plan is, is sound. I, I don't know. But that... That's the next thing we're just having to sit around and wait for. Are we going to get this change, or are we going to keep doing the same thing and and hope we can hold on to these you know fine margin leads? And that's like as much as like honestly, I felt like missing the Fulham match for not as a team but as a fan. You know, like it wasn't the worst thing in the world today, just because it, like I don't know about you guys, I could could have used the break. Um, now, part of the reason I'm saying that is because. We have been playing well lately, but you know it, we might have learned something from this match, and it might have been good to get this team off the Schneid. But I don't know, man. It's just like we got to respond to this. Twenty twenty has been bad enough without losing to Scott Parker to finish. Yeah, it. no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. It's just this team is like what you hope is, like we said, Mourinho sort of is not incapable of diagnosing the problems of this team, and like you said, Ben. He has changed them a lot already, so hopefully there is another change coming because I don't want to keep seeing this. Uh, does anyone have any other thoughts on this match? I think we're going to move on, but I just want to know if does anyone have any other wonderful thoughts about the full match as Ben strips for us on camera. Um, you know, twenty twenty is really ending on a high note um, here here on Wheeler Dealer Radio as we get a we get a live strip tease from Atlanta, Georgia. Apparently, well, Ben's recording the from the Magic Club tonight, so. Um, Thinking about Scott Parker got me all hot about it. I mean, you know, no one's going to blame you for that, so. I I mean, I do want to say that Tongi and Domble was good again. Like, you know, the fact that, like, that is one thing that, whether it's by circumstance or whatever, but, like, that Mourinho seems to be comfortable with letting that guy cook at Spurs. Like, maybe another manager would get more out of him, but, like, however we got here, at least we're there. So that's something. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little annoyed by, you know, the continual removal of him after like 60 minutes I, or so. I and I understand what are made out of Swiss cheese. So. Sure. And look, I understand, you know, with fixture congestion in the holiday period, like I get it, but like we really kind of needed him to stay on the field in this game. And, you know, I get it, you know, with LaCelso out, you know, there's, there's all sorts of reasons, but he certainly didn't look, in this game, like he was tiring, and he still looked like he had some gas in the tank. So I would have left him out there in this one. But it's especially you know, frustrating with Fulham being canceled, so like he would have gotten yeah, the midweek break. Right. <laughs> so yeah, but as much you know. as we could fault Mourinho for, I think 
insight into the future is not one. No. Uh, I'm... I'm writing it in my notebook. So, so we have some we have some questions from our listeners, which I want to get to in a second. But I, to eject some positivity to this podcast, I want to ask you guys, unprompted, I, I didn't discuss this with the guys beforehand, but God. Brian, I want to start with you. What is what is your favorite memory as a Spurs fan? What, what gives you the most joy when you think about Tottenham Hotspur? Because we've talked about a lot of the other stuff. But when you think about Tottenham, like, what gives you the most joy? Favorite? Well, I mean, you know, like I still get like goosebumps watching the Arsenal or the the IX match highlights back. Um, like every every time I watch that, that still gives me goosebumps. How did um, you, you watch know, it when it when it live? How how do you watch it live? I I watched the first half. I think um, in my office in, in West Palm Beach, Florida, and then like at halftime, I like ran home uh to to watch the second half and then uh, really you ran home when we were down two nil yeah i was like i was like i didn't want to be in the office it was gonna make me angry if i stayed well, that's, there that, that makes much more sense yeah um other than that i don't know like the stalteri goal against west ham um you know the the league cup semi-final uh against uh against arsenal um I'm trying to think what else. Um Yeah, I mean I think those are the big ones that stand out to me. Um you know, the some of the Gareth Bale Inter Milan game would be up there except I spent the second half at the gym because I was like, ah, this game is over. <laughs> um and then I I got a text from my friend when I left. He was like Gareth Bale hat trick. I was like, what? Um so I didn't actually get to experience that live. So, but yeah, I I think I think those are some of my more treasured Spurs memories. Ben, how about you? What what are your sort of favorite Spurs memories? Or wait, what? I'll start at the I mean, beginning. What when you think of Tottenham Hotspur, what gives you the most joy? What what what? I mean, I think you know. Yes, there's there's all those moments, all the big games over the last ten twenty years that we all remember that are you know very iconic sporting moments, and those are all wonderful. I think like stepping back is just seeing how far we've come to the point where like I'm mad about blowing a title challenge under Jose Mourinho is like where we're at and you know as much as i'm miserable watching every one of these games like i do have to you know over the last few years just seeing how far we've come and seeing you know that led by a manager like mauricio pochettino who i thought was just a wonderful fit with the club great relationship with the fans and the players some of the time you thought that I mean, <laughs> he frustrated me, but I never like hated Mauricio yeah. Pochettino. You know. Well, let's okay, I, okay. I, I just would have done his job a little bit better. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, but you know, like having a manager like that that felt like he was going to be our manager. I know it ended in tears, but like no, he felt like that was, was our finger. Honestly, in a lot of ways, he was our finger. But <laughs> yeah, you know, but like having this this team being like captained by or not captained by, but led by. A guy, a homegrown guy like Harry Kane, who I literally remember watching, you know, in youth games as a child, and you know, just that journey has just been really remarkable, and it's it's awesome to see where we are, and I just, yeah, that's a good point. I never I mean, to wrong. see Harry Kane exceed his potential of being, you know, the next Stephen Fletcher to <laughs> being what he is now is really truly amazing for me personally. 
No, but it's it's interesting with Kane because there's a lot of Spurs fandom that I feel like I kind of just like caught up on, like the Saltari goal or you know the League Cup, like stuff like that. Obviously, older stuff too. But you know, there's a lot of stuff I came in a little later than you guys on. But like I remember watching that game against Shamrock Rovers, which was his first game in a like or first a first professional or a first team match in a Spurs kit, and it's weird that. You know, I actually, oh, that, there's a Spurs thing I've seen from beginning to end, so, or I, I will have seen from beginning to end. I think for me, it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of moments that sort of give me joy, but I went to see Spurs in 20, it was Pochettino's first season, and I went to London with my dad. It was a present from him to me to take me to see, I, I ended up seeing them play Fiorentina in the Europa League and West Ham in the league, and Kane, it was a draw against West Ham, um, but Kane scored a goal at the last minute. He put a penalty in. And for me, it was just cool because, like, a lot of my sports fandom I get from my dad, like, we're both very large Orioles fans. And, um, you know, like, I think. Yeah, well, not that large, but we're both big Orioles fans, um, which is a baseball team for our English listeners. But, you know, I think a lot of, you know, we had season tickets. I went to, like, over. 30 games a year with my dad when I lived in Baltimore to see the Orioles. Um, I lived right outside Camden Yards. That's a very big part of my life. So I think that was a moment for me where my dad could see what my Spurs fandom meant to me. And it kind of got him a little bit indoctrinated. Like, I don't think he'd admit it, but he, he watches all the Spurs matches now um, without me having to tell him what's going on. Like, he knows when there's a League Cup match or, an, or a Europa League match. I mean, he pays attention. He watches what... You know, he, I don't have to tell him what's going on with Spurs. He follows them to talk about it with me. And I don't know. That meant a lot to me. That makes me very happy when I think about it. Because that was like, you know, it was a draw against West Ham, which I feel like are the only fucking live Spurs matches I ever go to are draws against West Ham. But, um, but you know, seeing Kane put a goal away in the 94th minute and everyone go crazy and do the wanking motion to uh, the West Ham away section that was right next to us... Uh, you know, anyway, it was just exciting, and it was nice that he got to be a little bit of a part of my Spurs fandom. So that's part of what that's what I would think in, in regards to this answer. So the only Spurs game my dad has ever watched was the Champions League final. Oh God! And he texted me one minute in. He's like, "Hey, good luck, Hot Spurs. Oh, you're losing." And I was just like, "Okay, thanks, thanks for watching, Dad." That's probably the most efficient Spurs fandom in history. <laughs> Yeah, he got the whole package just right there. It was fun because we all watched that together and we got to see in real time your face as those text messages came in. You know, like, I will say, as shitty as that game was, it was very I nice. I didn't mean to ruin the vibe. It, it was very nice to actually watch all, like, after, we, we've been, I think we've been podcasting now together in some form or fashion for, like, eight years. Brian and you've been podcasting with other people longer than that. Um, but it was nice to watch that game with you. I just wish it had gone the way we all hoped it went. Someday, someday we'll be allowed to travel again and we can all watch one live in person. Yeah, but will we make a, uh, a bet to get tattoos together if we win that game? Probably not. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Leanne, doesn't listen, Leanne doesn't listen to the podcast. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. So our first question comes from Chris Lane. I think, Ben, this is for you. Why is Jose Mourinho ducking a match with Scott Parker? Uh, Scotty too hotty because Jose can't handle that heat. I would like to point out that uh, Ben is the one making a wrestling reference before me on this particular podcast. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, no, I mean, Jose Mourinho increasingly looks like an old gremlin. And Scott Parker is the most handsome man in football. I wouldn't want to be on a touchline next to him either. <laughs> 
I mean, it's only a matter of time before he's on it. Man in football, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's only a matter of time before Scott Parker is in the Spurs dugout. So you know, I, I can imagine why Jose wouldn't want to give. Well, I'm him pretty a sure case. it's a. I'm pretty sure it's an extensive matter of time before Scott Parker. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, only, we might be desperate, but of... my God, <laughs> Scott Parker Ledley King Dream Team. It'll be great. Uh, like, we, are actually like playing decently lately. <laughs> um, Scott Parker might not be a total fraud. He could be, could be our Mikel Arteta. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I just think that if you're going to have a Mikel Arteta, it should be someone that looks like a fighter pilot. Mikel Arteta is too like slicked back and like nightclub kind of like chic whereas you know scott is a he's a classic look and i think that that would lend him much more credibility with the board and the fans and he'd get even more leeway um than arteta gets do we think that Ryan over here so you think you think arteta would get the same vigorous defense from the athletics uk bureau um absolutely absolutely parker would definitely deserve that and, you know, I, I think well, the, the good thing that we know about Scott Parker is that he's not committed to crosses in the same way. Um, you know, maybe like, I don't know, is, is the Iron Cross, is that an award that pilots get? I think it is. <laughs> I think uh, that the, other, the other pilots get that award. <laughs> uh, that's what I was afraid of. That's really what I was I was like, I thought it in my head, and I'm like, can I say that joke? You know, I, I feel like us ending 2020 um, accidentally uh, making Scott Parker a Nazi is fairly appropriate. Uh <laughs> I mean, you you will never know, honestly. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Wendy what asks, other questions do we have? Wendy from the Internet Sensation, The Extra Inch, uh, wants to ask, and what I'm sure is a genuine question, will our Lord and Savior, Harry Kane, stick around at Spurs? Uh, I don't know whether to answer this question seriously or not. Ben, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I'm sure that... You know, a team like Everton or Southampton will be interested in in buying a half-crocked former England great, um, you know, this summer, next summer. So I'm sure we can flog him to somebody. Like, I don't think, you know, we've totally lost out on, on, on reclaiming his value. Uh, I think, I don't think Spurs are interested. I think Spurs are interested in squeezing every ounce of value out of him possible, which they should be. Honestly, they should be. Like... I don't think you try to make money off of Harry Kane. You try to get all the goals you can out of Harry Kane. I think Manchester United developing a good to very good set of strikers between Martial and Rashford and all these guys is pretty much making sure that at best Kane gets a sort of Van Persie run at the end of his career if he goes somewhere else. He spends the last year or two of his productivity in another team. I have a hard time seeing that happen given how English players, especially... Harry Kane are, are regarded on the continent. Uh, Harry Kane does not get the credit he deserves internationally or even in England for how good a striker he is. And as a result, I think that uh, a Real Madrid or a PSG are very unlikely to sort of test our resolve with him. I don't oh, think the mute, the mute, Brian was able to. I caught it before I started talking. Um, I also just think that Harry Kane personally is not up for like a continental adventure. 
Like, it, I mean, he's never really made any noises about like, oh yeah, you know, it'd be great to play at Barcelona or Real Madrid. And I just, I just don't think that he, as a person, is interested in that. Now, you know, if we're talking about Manchester United or I don't know Manchester City or something like that, you know, at the, in the, at the end of his career, um, I think I think that would be an option for him. But he's not he's not going to go to Juventus. He's not going to go to PSG. Um, you know, and Barcelona and Real Madrid probably don't want him, but I, I just, I just can't see him going anywhere other than England. And even then, I, I, he's still got probably three or four years more at Spurs. I think he's got longer, at than least, because he's, he's what he's twenty six, twenty seven right now. Like, yeah, twenty seven. Twenty seven. It's only twenty nine. So. I think the only club that could turn his head is the New England Patriots. Let's be real. <laughs> Like, until they offer him a kicker job, then we're going to have the first, like, cross-league, cross-sport transfer in, in soccer history. Finally, they have I would a make them pay for, for the for him. Yeah. Yeah. Our next question uh, comes from Ryan Rosenblatt, who is a noted degenerate um, that we don't associate with. Who wants to know, which Spurs person, past or present, would you like to meet most meet in the in octagon? I feel like it's always a shame that uh, Nathan Clark isn't here for this question. Oh, I read it as least, and I was like, Sandro, definitely Sandro. Um, most. <laughs> Who can I definitely take in a fight? Um, Lewis Holpe? Yeah, Lewis Holpe. That, 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 that bitch has got a glass jaw. Like, come on. Vandervart? I'm pretty sure I can take Vandervart. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Harry Winks would be the most fun to beat up and the most comfortable, like, I could definitely take him. I don't know. He looks like yeah. a biter. That's fine. <laughs> Give me all I you mean, got, Harry. I mean, I'm definitely bigger than, I don't know, all the Spurs players. I think, Brian, you could take a surprisingly large amount of Tottenham players. No, but what you don't understand is I'm a giant wimp and I can't throw a punch. So, um... Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely could not actually beat up all of them, but I could definitely physically intimidate most of them. The the answer to who he would least want to meet is definitely Eric Lamella. That guy is a fucking psychopath, and he would kill anyone. Oh, Greg, I know that is your dream, is to get your fucking oh, shit elevated by Eric Lamella. In the <laughs> it's, a different, it's a different kind of dream. <laughs> yeah. Um... Caroline, did you see? He carved it, caved in my eye socket. <laughs> he carved his initials in my cheek. I would have done it for him, but he did it for me. Uh, Reno Wallabout, who has no affiliation with this podcast and never has, uh, wants us to have some Spurs-related New Year's resolutions. I'll start. We should try to score more than one goal a match. Okay, well, I was going to do, like, a me personal Spurs-related New Year's resolution. Go for it. Go for it, Brian. Live your best life. I personally resolve to um, not say things about how we definitely deserve to win in the 83rd minute when we're up by a goal that then subsequently jinxes us when we concede in the 88th minute. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut from now on. I will resolve to keep watching this season, no matter how miserable it gets. Ben, you're the only person on this podcast with a Tottenham tattoo, so I think I will also, I think you're I think I you're fucking also, stuck. 
I will also resolve to add to that tattoo uh, the Premier League champions, Jose Mourinho, 2020-2021, if we pull it off. No, you gotta get you gotta get another tattoo like we like Brian agreed to the other week. You gotta get a tattoo of the cockerel on top of Jose Mourinho's head. You have to get another tattoo. Uh, just one on the other side. Just have a matching so they're like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be that'd be cute. All right, I'll think about it. Ben Bell wants to know what our current standing would look like if Sergio didn't steal Zidane's son's girl. Uh, I think we'd be in, I don't know how dire straits we would be in without Sergio Regulon, but uh, I think we would be a lot less fun to watch, and we're not super fun to watch, but watching Regulon sort of chase cars out there has certainly been one of the more enjoyable things about this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he's had assists that have led to game-winning goals, so... I don't know. We're probably definitely a little worse off points wise, and like you said, we're definitely less fun or less interesting anyway. So I don't know. Uh, but perhaps it would have meant the best, getting the best out of Matt Doherty, where he got to play in that lopsided fullback system, where he is up there scoring three goals a season, and you go, "Wow, that's really good for a fullback." And that's it. That's all he's got for you. <laughs> we had a lot of questions around our next manager, uh, so. Let's talk about this in two in two phases. First of all, I just want to get a short answer from both of you on this. What is the earliest you see, realistically speaking, which, Ben, I'm saying this to you, realistically, what is the earliest you could see Spurs with a new manager, barring, like, Mourinho fucking Levy's daughter or, like, getting hit by a bus or something? Like, Ben, we'll start with you, then we'll go to Brian. I mean, I think it's all results-driven, right? I mean, yeah. if Jose, you're buying a trophy. If you, it's like, if we finish eighth, and don't get a trophy, I don't think he gets another summer. Do you think he gets fired this summer? Like, Yeah, I mean, I, he sees out the season. Unless unless we're in, like, Arsenal territory where we're actually, like, flirting with relegation, there's no way he goes midseason. Uh, no, no. I, I think Mourinho, I think he's here next season regardless, like, barring a disaster. I think the question is how hot is his seat next season. And if he wins a trophy, he's fine. If he finishes fourth and doesn't quite win something, it's probably not great, but Brian Yeah, I mean I agree. I think I think the earliest realistically he's gone is like this time next year. Because you know, like you guys said, has to be a disaster this year and then he has he will invariably convince somebody, namely Levy, that if we spend a little money in the summer, he can fix the ills that are existing with the squad that he inherited. And then when it inevitably fails through the first part of next year, then he will be gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I would, I would rather it was sooner. I mean, nothing means like failing, Every every which way. No, look. But Ben, are you at the point where are you at the point where you want us to lose so he goes? Absolutely not. I'm never going to root for Spurs to lose. Okay. Um, Because I do know. I feel like I know people who've done that with other teams in the past, as I've talked about on this podcast. But I I feel like there's Spurs fans who want that to happen. So I was just curious where you were on your Mourinho meter. The pendulum. I just don't think. I just don't think like as a fan of a club that you have so much emotional. Uh, investment in that 
it ever makes sense to root well, to lose. I feel like the closest I've ever gotten to that is... I don't even feel like I could say it was under AVB because it all went so pear-shaped so quickly under AVB that, like, I didn't have to make that decision because he was doing it for me. <laughs> um, he was playing poorly enough to get fired. I guess under Sherwood, where it was just every week, you're like, what the fuck are we doing? But you kind of knew after about a month that Sherwood wasn't going to stick around. So, I mean, there's enough sort of green shoots with Mourinho that you can sort of, like, imagine a manager sort of, like, getting this working. Well, like, for me personally with, like, Pochettino, all I wanted was a result to be so good or bad one way or the other that uh, that somebody's hand was forced. Like, I didn't care if it was, like, we won 7-0 or we lost 7-0. Like, like, I didn't care which way it went. I just needed a result to be definitive one way or the other because we had so many just blah performances where we eked out a 1-0 win or we 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 had a 1-0 loss or you know like i i can't i just cannot like hope to lose to get a ma- just to get a manager sack like i just i'm not wired that way what i just want are like definitive results where everybody can look at him and go all right yeah this guy out yeah i i guess i would say if we're already in a pattern where like what this past month has been for the rest of the season is just happening anyway. And I was like, if you told me that there was a breaking point that Levy would hit, if we just kept doing it. Yeah. I might say, I don't want us to turn around for the last four games of the season. Let's just, let's just pull the bandaid off. I mean, there's a level with managers where I feel like it's like, this is what it is. What are we doing here? You know, like, you know what you've got either like stick or twist. Like maybe I would, like you said, Ben, you hope that you get that extra result or two that just solidifies what he's going to do. But I don't feel like we're as bad as I think some of these games have been under Mourinho. I don't feel like we're there yet. Mourinho's got too much of a track record to sort of right. assume he can't do something with this. Right. I mean, had we played and won today, we'd be like back in third. You know, it's yeah. like we're still a winning team. We're still in a very good position. I'm not going to wish for us to go from that to terrible just to get the manager fired. If we were just terrible. Like, if we were Arsenal, I would be like, please just keep losing. Like, that Chelsea result for Arsenal, um, I would have been fucking furious about. I would be like, please just just end this. Put me out of my misery. And the good thing about the Fulham match being canceled is now for weeks we can be like, ah, but we've got a game in hand. <laughs> we're, we're six, but you know what? There's three points against Fulham that we could take. Nobody look at how many games in hand Aston Villa has. <laughs> like, third. Ben, uh, Paul Stevens has a question for you. He wants to know if the po- Fulham postponement is Mourinho's fault, Lucas's fault, or Ryan Mason's fault. I'm pretty sure it is Boris Johnson and the Tory government's fault. But uh, <laughs> that's just me. I I don't have anything to add to that. I just I, I just I appreciate that Ben is not blaming Jose for something. Yeah, I feel like Tier Seven is blaming Mourinho for the COVID outbreak. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure if we connect the dots and get out my yarn board, I can make it work. But that's a, that's a longer project than I, than I have off the cuff. Uh, Big White Heart Lane, who calls us chaps, which we appreciate, he wants to know who we would sell from the current crops for his players, and is there anyone that we would like us to buy when the window opens? Uh, ben, we'll start with you. I mean, in terms of purchases, like we said, 
Sabitzer's fine. Literally any midfielder who can come in and play midfield alongside uh, of... Literally any midfielder could be another Musa Sissoko then, so let's think very hard about this. Who is uh, better than Musa Sissoko is uh, how that sentence is going to end. Um, you know, if it's Jensen Fernandez on a permanent deal, great. <laughs> um, I don't want to sell anyone other than... Harry Winks, and I think we probably should sell Delhi given the way things are going, as much as it pains me to say that. Um, you know, if we're just selling people to sell people, yeah, fucking Lucas Moore can get the fuck out of here. Um, Suzoko can get out of here. Like, plenty of guys I'd be happy to get rid of. You can sell Joe Hart if anyone would buy him. Um, but realistically, I mean, I think it's a short list. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of the outgoings, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, Winks, it, it makes the most, like, probably has the most market for him in terms of players that we have. Deli Alley. Yeah, Burnley exists. Um, you know, look, uh, Deli Alley, again, I'm not, I'm not super excited about losing him, but might as well if you can get a decent amount of money for him. Um, and, you know, who would I want to buy? I'm less worried about midfield. Like, yeah, I would like a backup for Hoyerbeard, but I really want us to figure out what to do with that third attacking position, whether that's, you know, a, a, a second striker or um, uh, someone who plays as a right winger or left winger. You know, ideally, you know, who, who, who would be great there is like, I don't know, Jack Grealish. Um, but he's not going anywhere. Um, no, he's so, going to Chelsea, but in like two years. So. Yeah, so, I mean, you would like somebody who's dribbly, who creates shots, who also takes shots. Uh, I don't know who that profile of player is, who we could even get. I mean, the other thing you would like, given how our squad construction is, you'd like a home, you know, a player that is English. Um, so I don't, I don't even know who that is or if that player exists that in our price range. So it's not Christian Erickson. No, it's not Christian Erickson. Um, but you know, I, I, I think Sabitzer's yeah. a pretty good option, uh, honestly, cause he can do that right midfield thing. He did that before at Red Bull. He, he can apparently play deeper in midfield. I think he, he fills a lot of roles. He's good. He's almost out of contract. So, eh. Man. Di right. Maria, Di Maria is almost out of contract. I would that be all right? <laughs> How old is he? I don't know. He's really old, and he'd probably cost <laughs> us like five hundred thousand pounds a week. So it wouldn't make any sense. But you know, hey, gotta make Mourinho happy. So yeah, I mean, he loved Di Maria at, at when he was at United. So you know, why wouldn't that work? So our last question comes from Horbierg. Um, I guess is how you would pronounce it. He wants to know, would you rather fight 100 child-sized Regulons or 10 normal-sized Sissokos? I would not want to fight 10 normal-sized Sissokos. That sounds terrifying. Like that, that is a large man who is in excellent physical condition. Yeah, I wouldn't want to fight one normal-sized Sissoko, let alone 10 of them. Like, this is... The, we've gotten the proportions on this all wrong. It's just, <laughs> you know, like... I, yeah, even... Even though a hundred Regulones is a lot of them, um, and I'm sure that they would swarm us and overwhelm us easily, I would suffer greater physical harm against ten Musa Sissokos. 
Yeah, I think you rebalance that as to 10 Regulons or 100 child sized Sazokos, now you're talking. But this is wildly, <laughs> wildly out of whack. Um, I guess the question is, like, how young of a child are we talking? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. it's hard to say because Regulon has the spirit of all children inside him. So. I mean, because, you know, obviously we all know that the classic construction of this is, you know, ducks or, or, or duck sized horses or horse sized ducks. Um, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I think the the child size leaves too much. Like, are we talking like fourteen year olds? I don't. I don't know. Is Sergio Regulon no, is probably the size of a regular fourteen year old already um, in America? Um, so are we talking like four year olds or two year olds? Because if they're two year olds, they fall over real easy. Um, yeah, I'll wreck a hundred two year old regulars. <laughs> I just mow through that. <laughs> Eight-year-olds, like, all right, now we're getting more difficult. They have a little fine motor control. They, if you know, they can swing and they can maybe hit you right in the groin. That's a problem. If you're talking um, about fifteen-year-olds, they might be taking, you know, your son's girlfriend away from him. So you know, you don't know how that's going to play. Or they might be huffing computer dust in the car. We never know what they might be doing. With Sissoko, but all these Sissokos are just like getting mean and lifting weights at like the junkyard or something, getting like ready. Yeah, they got like got your face like pasted to their locker. They're just like thinking about you all the time. Like, no, I don't want to. No, no, thank you. The only hope is like one Suzoko is uncoordinated enough to get in his own way. That you got to hope ten Suzokos just well, trip like, all over. Think about it. One Suzoko could just do like the Bart Simpson rotating his arms and walking in your general direction. Like ten Suzokos doing that at the same time. Forget about it. I don't want any piece of that. I don't know. I would like a chance to take a swing at Suzoko. <laughs> ben, I'm, I don't think that would end very well for you. That's okay. I'll take the trip to the hospital. Just, I mean, you know, look, just smiling like, as your jaw gets impacted on itself. <laughs> like, yeah. your teeth go up your nose. It's fine. As long as I get a couple good licks and I'm one of the Suzokos couple before is, the lights go out. couple is optimistic. Have you seen that guy? Like, yeah. And I mean, the thing He's is... a lover, not a fighter. No, the thing you have to remember about him is every time any Spurs player is interviewed for one of those, like, teammates thing, they're, and they're like, who's the hardest guy on the team? They all go, Musa Sissoko. And it's just like, you're like, really? Him? He's so, like, uh... And then, like, no, he's a huge guy. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not messing with him. I have no interest in that. Yeah, you kill me. <laughs> on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Do you guys, Ben, do you have any New Year's resolutions for our listeners, like, non-Spurs related, that you want to share with them? As we wrap up 2020, and God, I hope next year is better than this shit. No, I mean, 2020 wasn't my fault. I don't have to change. The world has to change. Like, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything differently. The world has to do something different. <laughs> Brian, do you have any resolutions for the new year as we wrap up this year in podcasting? Well, you know, I think I am going to resolve to spend more time at home. Uh, I feel like in 2020, I just... You know, I could have really done more at home. Uh, you know, I didn't get as organized as I wanted to. Um, so, so 2021, I think, is the year that I finally get that sorted out. I resolve to, you know, spend time with my child next year because he cannot aggravate me as much as Jose Mourinho does on a weekly basis. I mean, you don't know that. Jose Mourinho doesn't throw up on me, so maybe he can, but, you know. Maybe that's the next step in Jose's evolution. 
She's coming to America to vomit specifically on you. <laughs> Mate, we can only hope that is how he chooses to torment Tottenham fans next year, as opposed but, to the way he plays. <laughs> we should be so lucky, honestly. On that note, I want to wish all of our listeners a happy new year, and hopefully this next year is better for all of you than this year was. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs, where I'll be tracking my swole progress as I get jacked enough to beat up Mrs. Suzuko. It's it's <laughs> nice to have goals. Um, Brian, hey. where, I just want to say this. On this podcast, of all the people that we have podcasted with this year, I would, I would give Brian by far the best shot at... Taking taking a shot at Moose Sissoko because he is a large just, Wisconsin I, boy who is like I, I assume his like bailed hay or whatever they do I out have. there. <laughs> but look, you guys just think just because I'm big because I'm like six three two twenty like that I can handle myself in a fight. I cannot. I'm I'm a scared little boy, um, and like my nightmare is having to throw a punch. Like I. Like the Bart Simpson windmilling arms thing is like what I can only aspire to. Um, but anyway, uh, if you were going to ask me, Greg, where I can be found on the internet, yeah, where, where can people uh, ask to fight you online? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y, where I will be discussing my failed attempts at Dry January, um, beginning on about January third. Really? You're going to do a dry no. January? Okay. No, I'm not going to do a dry January. He's going to fail dry January. Okay. Yeah. How quickly? Like, I resolved to not do dry January. One week, the first podcast we record? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, and you can find me on um, Twitter.com at Skipjack0079. And don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And if you want to challenge me to a fight, you can find me on LinkedIn at Brett Rainbow. So for Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.